All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 273. Jason Lindgren is with me and Howard McCoskey, and better known or more widely known probably by the nickname Howdy. I will put all these names in the descriptions that I create for this episode because he's done quite a bit and people may want to look up a number of things. This for me is an exciting episode. We're going to touch on the cathedrals uh, in Italy and Florence, but even more importantly, that's not even fair. Very few things are more important in my view than what was done with cathedrals, but we're going to get into the world fairs. The world fairs are a hell of a thing for people who haven't looked, and I imagine most people in the modern era that have any idea of what world fairs are about probably read the book. I think it's called The Devil in the White City about the Chicago World Fair. Of course, all the fear porn is wrapped up because they put a mass murderer in the storyline so they can get their little scare tactic in there. But the world fairs are a heck of a thing, and we're going to endeavor to show why. And by the way, remember in the recent biggest thing in the world, the Marvel things, uh, that's partially centered at the world fair. And they're showing uh, Iron Man's dad, what's his name there, Stark, something Stark with a floaty car all the way back then. It breaks in the movies, but the point is, is they're making the statement that we're going to address. There was a hell of a lot of technology for my part, I kind of feel like some of it we never really got mainstreamed in society, but that's why Howdy's here. We'll find out. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. All right. Do we have anything to tee up? We do not. All right. Let's just do it. Hey, welcome, Howdy. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. So I'm so excited to get into this. Um, these are some of the topics that I'm pretty excited about. And the reason is, is because it reaches into so many of the other things. Like we just did an episode on color and vibration, and we did one on cymatics. And of course, people who remember two weeks before old Notre Dame was fried with probable malintent, we did the episode about cathedrals saying, hey man, pay attention to cathedrals. This is a path for human beings to get to a higher state of humanity. And it's built in glass and stone, and they've been removing, slowly removing uh, all the little encoded milestones. But anyhow, what do you say we jump in? And um, at the beginning of your notes, you kind of have almost a resume. Let's burn through that quickly so people can get a sense of who you are and what you've done. Well, I guess first I, I just say that uh, what brought me into the World's Fairs to start with is I was um, I was studying, looking into cathedrals in Florence in um, early February last year. And as I came after I came home and was sort of mesmerized by the the, the machine like quality of these buildings, I just I was looking around the internet and came across the images of the 1893 Chicago World Exposition, and it blew my mind because it looked like ancient Rome in the middle of downtown Chicago. And as I looked at it further, well, here's another one in Philadelphia, here's another one in St. Louis, in Buffalo, in San Francisco, and then as soon as they were done, they tore them all down and threw them in the garbage, and that just told me there's something wrong with all of these. And so, yeah, it got me excited. My background was originally, I started 20 years ago digging into ancient Egypt and writing a, a book on sort of the alchemic and the symbolistic pieces of ancient Egyptian Mayan knowledge. I was very lucky along the way to have met um, a Korean Zen monk and several Native Indian medicine men who helped give me some pointers and some feedback along the way. And another book came out a couple of years ago on sort of that part of my life. And then last year came out with this uh, book on the world expositions and what the expositions might refer to for all of us today. 
Okay, so I'll burn through a couple things that you didn't. Uh, you've spent time with Zen monks, with Native Indian medicine people. Uh, you have some experience with Qigong. Um, yeah. You traveled around Italy, Venice in particular. You saw the no Burmese. Florence and Florence and Rome. Oh, sorry, Florence and Rome. Of course, the Bernaleschi Dome is there. Called I think it's called the Duomo. Um, that's a pretty amazing thing on its own. For people who don't know, that dome was built without the wood inner structure that typically is put put under an archway. I'll cut to the chase. He did it with the way he laid the bricks. But let's jump right in here and I'll, yeah. I'll cue it up by saying one of the big tells about the World Fairs is there's damn precious, you know, these big events went on. It's almost impossible to find good images. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, well, you can dig through them. They're just, a, they're just not easy to find. But there are, there are quite a few photographs, but not of the construction. That's really important. You'll get lots of decent images of the fair itself, of the buildings, Generally, from a distance, you're not getting even close to the buildings, and we can talk about why. But when you look at the construction photos, that's where the problems sink in. There just are none, and the construction photos are very dubious for these. Well, for these you had things. mentioned, wasn't there some rule that, that you couldn't take pictures at the fair? Or you had to charge a fee? or What was that all about? Uh, in Chicago, for whatever reason, that was sort of the, the first large fair in the United States. Had been in uh, New York in 1853, and then Philadelphia in 1876. But they were they were going all over the world, and I mean, there were small fairs. All, I'm calling small, but I mean, giant, massive structures being built, whether it's Louisiana or in Louisville or in Portland. But in Chicago, which was the which was the largest of the time, yeah, you had to pay a two dollar fee if you wanted to take photographs yourself, which was would be like spending two or three thousand or ten thousand dollars today. So nobody took them. And if there were actually police that were walking around the exposition arresting people who were taking photographs of the fair. And again, that's another one of these questions that when you dig into it, why are they so worried about having people taking photos of the exposition buildings? Because everything Again, I don't know that the average viewer right now is probably doesn't have probably doesn't or viewer listener probably doesn't have a lot of knowledge of what these are. I'd recommend you might want to just open up your browser and just Google search like Columbian Exposition 1893 or St. Louis 1904 or something and just bring some of these images up for yourself so you can take a look at the buildings we're talking about, which are colossal structures. Chicago built 700 acres of fair in supposedly less than two years. St. Louis built 1,200 acres of exposition buildings. And we're talking one of the buildings in Chicago, the manufacturer's building, would house 300,000 people. So we're talking giant structures and looking like ancient Rome with towers and domes and columns and the most fine, ornate pieces to them. And again, in these record, unbelievable times, then as soon as they're done, chuck them in the garbage. What are they supposed to have been made out of? I mean, if you're trying to slap something together quick, would you use like plaster or something like that? That's the story. The story is that they were using a, a thing called staff, uh, which is, yeah, kind of like a plaster and wood. And that's the supposed reason of how they got these up so quickly. But when you look at the size of the buildings and the fact that like a lot of the buildings, you could go on the roof and you don't want to be building these structures out of plaster and having a whole bunch of rich, expensive people coming to your fair and then dying when the thing collapses. So for me, the story of the expositions is, is a gigantic lie. And I think it's so huge of a lie because I think they're right at a bridge point when so many things about the 1800s that seem strange and weird, right as this sort of period ends of unbelievable strangeness and perhaps a world war that no one has talked about, all of a sudden these fairs spring up all over the world with impossible buildings, almost like it's an indoctrination for the population. So let's just frame it up a little bit. So. Mm. 
if I'm not mistaken, the World Fairs pick up or begin uh, in the mid-1800s. But I see in your notes here, all of the initial World Fairs were in Crystal Palaces. That's um, right. Can we address the Crystal Palaces? And guess what? There's no Crystal Palaces left, right? Nope. Right. The, the first one was supposed to be, and again, this is, this is all, this is the standard narrative, right? Standard narrative says the first fair happened in London, and it was built, uh, yes, in this thing called a Crystal Palace that was uh, built by a uh, greenhouse maker. So it was a giant glass domed structure, but massive. It was huge. And lo and behold, all of a sudden they started building them elsewhere in New York, in Toronto, in Montreal, in Munich, everywhere built in a supposedly built a crystal palace. But within 20 years, they had all burned down. Every single crystal palace in the world by the early 1900s had all burned down. Are there images left of any of these? Oh, yeah. You can, for example, in my book, Exposing Expositions, there's some good ones of the London Crystal Palace uh, from 1851. There's some good ones on the internet. And some of the other buildings, it's more, um, a lot more of the images are drawings and etchings than actual photographs. It's interesting that they look so similar. I don't know. They, they have a look almost like a shopping mall or a train station. It almost feels like when I look at the images of these original Crystal Palaces, that whatever they're telling you they are, they were something else. They were already there. And then they just either fixed them, spruced them up, renovated them, and claimed we just built this and here's our fair to celebrate it. All right. So one thing I would note is from my perspective, I always think about the Olympics, like where World Fair went. It's almost as similar. Maybe the Olympics is more of a political thing, uh, so to speak. But just to frame it, if I'm not mistaken, the Chicago Fair was the first time people had seen electric light or at least that's the claim that was in, in the book I mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. is, that, is that correct, that Edison rolled out, supposedly Edison, for the first time, lights a place at night with electricity? Uh, actually, it was Tesla. Ah. Tesla's the one who got the uh, electricity contract for the uh, Chicago Exposition, and that caused a lot of battles between... This is assuming Tesla's a real person, because so, some people are questioning whether he's just a, a pseudonym right. for right. stolen right. technology. But assuming he's real... Then yeah, he was the one that got that contract, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm going to try to find the exact number of what was there, but it was it was certainly more than all of the lights anyway that were in New York City at the time were at the Chicago Exposition. Yeah, it must have been mind blowing for most of those people who had only seen gaslight or candlelight at night to see that city lit up in such a way. Howdy, let's take a moment to mention where folks can get your books. The first book was called The Power of Then. That's on ancient Egypt and the ancient world. The second one came out by the Tat Foundation. That's called Falling for Truth, a Spiritual Awakening and Death. And the one we're mostly talking about today is Exposing the Expositions, Ancient Rome in America. My website is available. You can see read sample chapters there. And of course, Amazon has a, has a starting point to look at the books and get some information there as well. But you can find limits to various booksellers all over the world. If they search by author name, what name would they search? They would search, uh, Howdy McCoskey would, would get it. So they would find the books directly. There. Or of course, you could also search, there'll be links at my, my YouTube channel, which is Howdy McCoskey Talks. And you can see some other videos on these subjects. And uh, in all the comment section will be an Amazon link and a book link. So you can go any of those directions and find them. Do you have a private website? Uh, yes, I do. With an extremely long name, I don't know why I chose it, <laughs> Egyptian-Wisdom-Revealed.com. I must could have been be drunk when I chose the name. Could, could be worse. So let's cut to the chase here. <laughs> yep. um, you're drawing a direct line 
back to Roman style architecture and ideas. As Jason and I have pointed out for years now, our law and so much of our world, our religions all stem from the same place we're talking about. But why do you suppose it's such a hidden thing? Why, like in the city where I lived, San Diego, there was an exposition, which was kind of like a world's fair. They built this beautiful place called Balboa Park, but they didn't tear it all down. But to this day, those are among the most beautiful buildings in the city that were quickly built for this exposition. Almost everywhere else, they tore it all down and threw it away. So what's going on? Before we get into a little more, I'll share some information that maybe helps this. And that was early on in my research when I started seeing the colossal scale of the building and the, the beautiful building. I went to some building contractors and I asked them, very slyly, I would show them pictures of, of certain buildings and certain things and ask them, if I was going to have you build this for me today with modern machines, how long is it going to take? How many people? You know, that kind of thing, right? For example, there's a building that went up for the uh, Barcelona uh, Exposition in 1888. It was claimed to be the fastest built building in the world, 5,000 square, square meters, capacity for 2,000 guests, 600 rooms, 30 apartments, and it was supposed to be built in 53 days. And it's it's the most finest ornamentation, you know, it's like looks like you're again downtown Rome. So I asked the building contractor, so if I want you to build this today, what's that gonna take? He'd say, about two years. So they're telling you in, in the 1880s they can build this in 53 days, but today with modern machines, it's 53. And then I took him to the Chicago exposition and showed him the exposition and he was just blown away. And I said, Could you build this? And I said, Yeah, you give me a hundred thousand guys in 15 years. He said, I can build you that. But what would change if it was made to not be permanent, like if it really was just a rough wooden enclosure with plaster all over the place? Even the problem with that is is how much of a of a logistical uh, supply thing are you looking at? Like how even if that even if that story is true, and I don't believe let's pretend it is true, think of the amount of wood you're going to have to bring in there, the amount of plaster you're going to have to bring in there. Like where is that coming from, and how are you bringing that material in? This is supposed to be a time of horse and horse and buggy. So the, the amount for 700 acres would be staggering. And then when you look at the construction photos, this is the weird thing. What you, what you always see in any construction, or almost like 95% of all the construction photos of any fair you look at, is you'll see a near-completed building with some scaffolding on it. Usually they're doing a little bit of work on the top of the building. And around it, there's no building materials, there's no tracks, there's no roads. There isn't even sign that people have been eating sandwiches and left like, you know, half a sandwich on the ground or, you know, a cup, uh, a coffee cup, nothing. It's just like barren wasteland and a little bit of scaffolding in these perfect buildings. And that's another thing that really makes it so difficult to try to determine what are we actually looking at. Are there records? Because I'll have to be honest, after what I've talked to with these guys the two-year building times are actually impossible unless, and there's many theories then as to, as to what it could be, but the two most likely theories would be either A, they had a technology that they're not supposed to have, and it really was built in that time frame. Because like you say, you looked at the buildings in Balboa Park. I'm, I guarantee you that at least 20 or 30 of those buildings would have been permanent structures. So even if they built them, they had to build them out of marble and stone in record time. Or the only other alternative is the buildings were already there. They'd been there for hundreds or thousands of years, and they were just fixed up, refurbished, and repainted, hence the term whitewashed, uh, which is the term that was used for the Chicago Exposition, which was paint all the buildings with this brand new spray paint that they had just developed to spray paint all the buildings in record time, so you couldn't tell if anything was old or anything was new. 
Well, in the in the case of Balboa Park in San Diego, I've actually seen shots that should supposedly show what that hilltop looked like, and you can see it going down to the the waterfront and where downtown San Diego is. So there is evidence to suggest that it was built when it said it was built. But I have also seen within the park there are images of it. But you know, you, you you're hitting it on the head. Those those buildings were built to last. Um, oh yeah. And, as a matter and of fact, and even more so when you look at Jackson Park in Chicago, we're doing Chicago a lot here just because it's the most famous of them, but it was built on a swamp. Like Jackson Park is a swamp. So supposedly they had to drive down like tens of thousands of wooden stakes in order to support the weight of everything. Then they, you know, they dug out massive lagoons, lakes. They had a canal system that ran through the entire exposition. They also had an above ground electric train. Electric, like an electric train. Well, where's the electricity coming from? That's running around the park. They had a moving walkway down by the shore, and not enough people are asking, "Well, where does this technology come from? <laughs> like, where did they develop this overnight?" We, we should frame this up a little in the same way, like when your Olympic committee, like what was that dude's name that was running for president, who was also the chief muckety muck in the Olympic putting Olympics into the city. And we've made the statement, you know, it's almost like being a guy wanting to be a mobster. So you need to be made when the Olympics comes to your city. It's like, you've been made. Everything is different. You get this whole new infrastructure. Your standing in the world has gone up, but you can see that a guy who's supposedly running for president is the chair of that thing. Now to pull it back around to San Diego, um, one of the buildings, which is still standing, it's round. I think it was Ford called the Ford building or something like that. Initially, it's now the aerospace museum. Um, but these are the kind of people that were involved in it. But are there any records for like Chicago that give you any sense of how many people were supposedly on the work staff? Because in one of your points here, you're yeah. pointing out that while they're building Chicago, supposedly right next door, they're building a university. Again, once you start, because it's not just the this expositions I started having to dig into. Well, I had to dig into like the history of the cities because the history of all the cities at the same time just didn't make any sense. And like Chicago is a good example, right? They have a fire in 1871. It burns down, supposedly burns down most of the city. Like every city in North America had a giant fire, and then all of then all of a sudden they build this, these buildings that you would think they need and then tear them all down. But yeah, while they're building it, yeah, they're also building a university. They're also building a brand new giant library that, I mean, look, would fit perfectly in in ancient Greece. So it's like, yeah, we, we have no problem. Um, here, I've got, the, I've got the number here. They're claiming um, for the Chicago Exposition, estimated 40,000 workers at one time were actively involved in moving iron, dirt, or lumber. So they're saying 40,000. Now, okay, how are you feeding 40,000 people? Just, just that where are the bathrooms going to be for 40,000 workers? Like no one is digging into the, the simplistic detail of how do you even handle that kind of workforce? And then, and then you look at the photographs and there's two guys leaning on, a, leaning on a ladder with nothing around other than some scaffolding on a wall. So like the 40,000 guys just all went home for break at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, so is there a stated overall purpose? I mean, I don't know how many world's fairs and expositions there were, but there were a number of them. Most of yeah. them or all of them are in landmark cities. So it's a bit like the Olympics. Like if the Olympics comes to your town, you're a worldwide city on the map. You've been made. Everything is different for you. But um, what was the stated purpose? You know, I think most of us think of the world's fair of, of Chicago, where the idea is, look, progress. 
all these great new things we can do. But was that the overarching theme of all these world fairs? Well, it's a good question. I mean, when we think of world fairs today, like I never paid much attention to them because I, I'd known some of the world fairs that had been existed in during the course of my lifetime. You know, there'd been one in Montreal just before I was born. There was one in Vancouver in 2010. And those were kind of like, yeah, little new technology, see the new world that's coming along and um, uh, have, have a few drinks and whatever. But these fairs were really different. These ones from 1850 to uh, 1915, which is the last one that happened before World War I shut the, shut the fairs down, they were like a weird bridge between the old world, wherever we used to be, and the new world that we were walking into. The presentation is that they're showing the new technological progress and particularly the technological process made by white Victorian males. A big part of what these fairs were doing were setting up what you could almost call human zoos. That part of the midway would have ex- exhibits, right? For, they, they, would, they would have like your standard uh, amazing midway rides. And I mean, if you want to later, I can tell you some of the wild things that they actually built for these fairs. But part of it was to bring uh, a tribe from somewhere in South Africa and set them up and, and display them as cannibals, uh, to bring native Indians and set up some teepee areas and show them as savages and and the idea was to show that literally uh, run and run by the Smithsonian in one of the fairs, I don't remember if it was Buffalo or it might have been New Orleans, they had exhibits that showed the size of the, the size. You were supposed to get your skull measured when you walked in, and then the size of your skull would be matched up to see if you fit the perfect Victorian white person's skull or if you were an unfortunate one of these savage races that hadn't yet evolved yet. And this was a huge part of what these fairs were doing. I, I get the sense. The history that we know right now as history was invented at the time these fairs were going on. And this was, for whatever reason, I don't know exactly yet, but these fairs had one of their under underlying nefarious purposes was to teach a historical narrative to the population that they were supposed to believe and agree with. Because a huge part of these fairs were these huge historical exhibits, as well as the technology. So I think there's all of these things being linked together. There's not just one thing these fairs are doing. They're doing a number of things. And scarily, the world we're walking into today is in some way has its origins during the time of these fairs. The thing you were just describing is part of the eugenics process that they were doing way back when. Yeah. So <laughs> that goes into the whole rah, 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 we're white kind of thing. Buffalo was wild. They, uh, they actually they set up uh, one of the exhibits there was uh, the old, called the Old Plantation, and it was designed. I'm going to read exactly what the newspapers say of it. The Buffalo Evening News described, this is a quoting, genuine Southern darkies, 200 of them, ranging in years from wee toddling pickaninnies to Negroes gray and bent with age, can be seen each day at the exposition at their different occupations and pastimes. Lovers of Negro melodies will have a feast. Many of the darkies will be selected because of their special talents as singers and banjo players, and they will dance and sing to the seductive tinkling of instruments exactly as the Negroes of the South used to in the long, long ago. There it is in a time when it was easier for them to be out in the open, and I have seen uh, the photographic evidence from the San Diego Exposition that shows exactly what you're talking about, where they'd taken indigenous peoples and made them look backwards, silly, savage, any way you want to put it, but... There's another one that's a bit interesting. You might have insight that I don't know. There's like this nudist one where all these seemingly European women uh, are are doing nudist things, like almost like classic 
what we consider Greek or Roman statues, but you know, here you're supposedly in a time where everyone's a prude, and this was part of at least the San Diego Exposition. And all of the expositions; those are the, the biggest draws on all of the on all of the midways, which would be the the yeah the, the fun part of the fair of all these. Yeah, it had a ton of nude, semi-nude, uh, scandalous dancing. The the term "hoochie coochie" actually comes from the uh, Chicago Exposition. It was considered uh, one of the dances that was taking place on the midway of the people that were over from from the Orient. So that's also part of the fairs is is presenting this, like you say, this Victorianized very seemingly moralistic world, but the fairs are presenting something completely opposite to that. Sex sells, I guess, to this day. But I mean, so is there any evidence that you've been able to uncover that shows these buildings already existed, um, these are remnants from a previous time, or some other way to explain? Um, And by the way, I don't think there's any really denying that something's going on here when you build such elaborate things, which for the most part, I think could be demonstrated or not facades. You read a lot of stuff that try to convince you these were all facades, but places like Balboa Park prove to you that that's not true. There are a few things that I think remain, but what do you think? Is there any yeah. evidence to show, look, we found this here, or we dug this thing up or, or anything like that? You know, well, e- each fair always claimed to keep one building. That they claim they built one building in for real, and uh, that's the but that's the only one that that's the story. So like Chicago had what became the Field Museum, St. Louis had its History Museum. Um, so everyone kept one. When what you have to do is when you look at, at some of the photos, and actually some of the photos of Buffalo is a really good one to look at because there there happens to be some really interesting photos that show extreme weathering on the buildings. In some cases, show mold. Like on the, they had a thing that looks like a, like a small Roman Colosseum. Of course, they could build a structure any way they want it, but they want to make sure it looks like a Roman Colosseum. But when you look at some of the photographs, you can see like mold and decay and things that shouldn't be something in a one-year building. And you also get good ones because San Francisco had a lot of photographs taken of it. And the same thing, you can see a lot of weathering on the buildings or other things that are really interesting is to see trees that have grown, that are growing and things are going up the walls or into the walls of buildings, which take 5, 10, 15, 20 years to do. But these are supposed to be brand new one-year-old buildings. So how does the vegetation grow into and onto the walls like that? So there are a lot of pieces of information that indicate these things should be questioned. Yeah. Well, there's there's always a poke in the eye. So I got to ask again, you mentioned that two of these places that kept that single building one of them is a history museum. That's a total poke in the eye. History is a lie it agreed upon, which means yep. all these historical edif- edifices that want you to come in and learn about your fake history, um, were, were all of them turned into history museums? Yeah, and, what, and what was so weird about that building, the reason that so the, the, the story of how the Field Museum became the Field Museum of Chicago was all of these countries of the world. Like, I mean, it's not just the buildings that were, were there for the fair itself. Every, every country built their own building at these fairs. Every state had their own building. Every And every country sent tens of thousands of pieces of merchandise. There's a book by H.H. H. Bancroft on the Columbian Exposition. It's 14 volumes, about 8,000 pages long. A lot of it is describing just the stuff that was sent there from all over the world. But when the fair ended, so think of how much money it would cost for Germany or France or England or Switzerland to send, and they're sending expensive textiles, expensive paintings, expensive everything 
But when the fair's over, they say, no, it's too expensive to send it back. We don't want it. And so Chicago claims they were left with all this stuff that they couldn't send back. So they decided to use this building as, uh, as the new is this new, we're calling it field museum of the artifacts of the Columbian Exposition that weren't shipped back to the original countries. And that's how that stuff got in there. It almost feels like the formalization of like a secret society at the highest levels or something like that. But let's ask the question. Yeah. So who, who went to these fairs? There's claims that absolutely millions of people in some of them, but yep. was it for everyone or was it for rich people? Definitely not. Uh, the, the, they try to claim at most of these fairs that everybody could go because the entrance fee was very small, might be like 50 cents for an entrance fee, which is fine. Anybody could walk on the grounds, but you can't get in any of the buildings. You can't go in any of the rides. You can't eat any food. I saw it's the price list for St. Louis to get yourself like a sandwich and a coffee. And like you might as well be in downtown Paris today. Like literally, it was like, you know, things are supposed to cost 10 cents, but it's $2 for a, a sandwich or something at these things. So it was for the white elite of the time. And more interestingly is, well, where are they all coming from? Because there's not that many rich people in Chicago, for example, Now they support, or, or any, any other place. St. Louis. St. Louis had a – they even made a, a, a movie on the fair of 1904, right? Meet Me in St. Louis. That whole movie was based on the, on the exposition. So it tells you that only elite type people could come to the fair and actually do anything at them. And yet they're saying they were getting two, three, four million people coming to some of these fairs, but none of the fairs make any money. Great example was the first one in Philadelphia that they had in 1876. I can tell you it lost um, it lost four million dollars in 1876 money. Wow, that's four that's yeah four million dollars. But but it is claimed that on the basis of dollars and cents, the success of this event can cannot just be estimated in money. It is not on the basis of dollars and cents that success has been shown, and so. I don't know about you, but if like Disneyland opened and it lost $4 million in the first year and kept losing money, they're probably going to stop building them. How long did these things tend to stay open? Like when they built these things, supposedly over two years, which is the narrative yep. for most of them, how long were they there for oh, six, open, months. six months for the public to come? Yeah. Yeah. And then what was amazing, like for example, in St. Louis, two days after the fair ended, they brought in a demolition team from Chicago with explosives and blew the thing up. Uh-huh. They actually used dynamite to blow it up and they say threw it in landfills. I'd really like to find where those landfills are because <laughs> if it's all just staff and wood, then it's all just going to have gone back to the earth. But if it's stone, the stone's still going to be there. I would love to find where those landfills are and dig them up. Are, are you actually suggesting some real archaeology goes yeah. on? But yeah. it's always, I always know, that's why I'm harping on like the museums. Like this got left, now it's a history museum. That's a total fingerprint of what we've seen over years of doing this. But when people came in, um, and by the way, photography is pretty new for most of these things back in the day, right? They're supposed getting their picture, to be anyway. Yeah, supposed to be, exactly. They're, they're getting their picture taken so they can have a pass to be inside. And then they're getting handed a damn diploma when they leave. Is all that? Yeah, that was weird. We we found uh, there used to be a site that existed on the internet. It, it disappeared three or four months ago, uh, stolenhistory.org. But it was an amazing site for researchers. And you would post up one thing and then somebody else would find something else. And yeah, we found that some of the fairs, you would actually get the equivalent of like a, a little thing you would wear around your neck with your photograph on it. Like, what? <laughs> 
in in like 1901, you're 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 getting photographic passes to get into the fairs. Uh, another really interesting, yeah, was these diplomas that I've seen. All of these diplomas, almost every fair had a diploma, and it's like, but you get a diploma for passing some sort of schooling course, but they're not listing a, any kind of schooling course on them. They're just listed as almost like having attended the fair, like the fair, like having gone to the fair was enough to get you your diploma. So what kind of schooling are they suggesting that you're getting there? <laughs> so so these are for rich, mostly European people. Uh, I, I'm telling you, man, it's starting to sound like this is the secret handshake done in public, you know, but behind a veil. I've always felt that way about the Olympics, that it's the, yeah. you know, insiders at the highest level doing what they do. Unreal. And of course, at the, at this time, we're dealing with the same time in history. We're dealing with these things, these these orphan trains, right? Where all of a sudden, in North America specifically, the cities are just basically children. There's tens of thousands of these supposed orphans. We had no idea who the parents were, where the parents came from, and then they were shipped on trains and sent all over all over the United States. At the exact same time as these these are going on, we've also got these giant and insane asylums being built. All over, supposedly built all over the United States, but you look at them. I mean, they're bigger than the Medici palaces in in Florence. I mean, these things are massive with towers and domes and just 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 ornate structures. Like this is not what you're going to build as an insane asylum. Obviously, they took over some old palace and changed the name to it. So the question becomes, who are the people that are really going into these insane asylums? My speculation is they might be people who remembered the old world. The reason I think this is important for all of us is that things like the World Fairs tie into the work I did with Ancient Egypt or whatever that shows, or the cathedrals that you're doing, that shows there was a time in our past, and even not that far in our past, where humans seem to be at a completely higher level. That human living and human knowledge and human uh, ability to bring balance and harmony and energy and all these things in our lives were constructed into the buildings using cymatics, using sacred geometry, were put into play so that literally you maybe didn't need to have a hospital because the cathedral was just like your hospital. You could just go in there if you were ill, stay for a while, the energy of it will harmonize and heal you, you walk back out and you're done. These fairs are like pointing back in sort of a a negative way or a laughing way of where humans used to be, and we're moving humans in the new direction of what you might call the world that we've come to know in the last hundred years. And and that's why I think they're, they're, they're so important to study because it's like a bridge between where humans used to be, and that's a part of the, the whole uh, changing of history, is to make the idea that the further back you go in history, the stupider and more savage and more primitive humans are, and the truth might be the opposite. The further back we go in history, the far more advanced, more clear, more aware, more awake humans might have been. You're speaking my language all day long. And where things were wiped, I think uh, it was done over a period of time. But I think you're pointing to pretty big world advertised events um, yeah. that we can show are not what they appear to be. But let's go back to Chicago sure. um, and tie it to what's actually going on right now in the state of Rhode Island. Just so people know, recently, another nonsensical thing that happened is the state of Rhode Island is supposedly the small state with the biggest name, uh, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, all right? So they put on the ballot that we can't have the word plantations, that's racist. So they're making this controversy out of nothing. 
Meanwhile, it goes to the ballot and it doesn't pass. But what has happened is 200-year-old statues of Chris Columbus have been pulled down. Do you see what's going on here? Now let's tie it back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. One of your bullet points, one of your suppositions is what was the Chicago Columbian Exposition really presenting? And right. one of your suppositions is that it's the fake history of Christopher Columbus or the goddess of America. You rightly show it's also Columbia. It's also the District Columbia. It's also the Statue of Liberty. It's also the sun. It's also Satan. It's also Luz. I mean, this goes on. We've we've taken so much time to show how couch this is, but let's get into that for a minute. Was there yeah. a big Chris Columbus push for the Chicago Columbian Exposition? If you went into like Wikipedia or one of the main books or the normal books that are written on this, they're saying that the reason they wanted to have this specific exhibition, it was supposed to be in 1892, and it was supposed to be the supposed 400th anniversary of Columbus's 1492 journey. That's supposedly what this was for, but they couldn't get the affair done in time by 1892. They needed an extra year to build it. They were supposed to only only needed a year to build the thing in the planning. But that, that's what it's claimed to be, and it's supposed to be this exposition that shows the opening, this, this wonderful opening of the world that, of course, there was, there was nothing in, there was, according to this history, there's nothing in North America or the Americas before this guy Columbus shows up. And, of course, they're not showing the history of Columbus being really a, you might call him a slave trader and an <laughs> exploiter is what these voyages really were. But... This idea was being presented through this fair, and even more strange. I'll just I'll just share this with you. Uh, as Americans, you've said the Pledge of Allegiance in your life. I would yeah, assume. Unfortunately, do you know? Do you know? Do you know when that was first said? Uh, actually, I don't. Uh, it actually isn't it the early 1900s or something like that. It's a, it was first time was was used was October 21st, 1892, at the official opening ceremony of the Columbian Exposition. Where Chicago. At the Chicago Columbian Exposition, wow. yeah, and it was they they opened the fair anyway on October twenty one, even though the buildings weren't weren't going to be ready and it wasn't going to open then. They still did the opening ceremony on that day, and I'm going to read you exactly what the newspaper says of it. They had one hundred young school children reciting for the first time the Pledge of Allegiance, lined up in what what can be called military fashion. The pledge was written by Francis J. Bellamy specifically to bring national attention to the fair and to the first National Columbus Day holiday. Wow. There you go. So, so every time someone says the Pledge of Allegiance, they are technically tapping into the energy that wants to be presented from the Columbian Exposition of 1893. I would also add to that the the goddess Columbia. And um, the goddess Columbia, yeah. Now, there was a, there's a giant statue in the middle of the lagoon. And again, I really hope people go and look up some photos of this because to me, uh, as I say later in the book, that I think this, this becomes, I'm seeing the Domus Aurea of downtown ancient Rome. But in the middle was a statue of which they they claimed as the god. Let me get this exactly right for you. So I've got the the size of it, and I sort of have to flip through the book to make sure I get all this stuff correct. But it was called the Golden Lady, and it was known as the Statue of the Republic. It was 65 feet tall. They say it was covered in gold leaf that had copper underneath, but others speculate it was actually made out of solid gold. So you're talking 65 foot high, potentially solid gold statue. But everybody at the fair, everybody who would have been there, knew that it's not. The Statue of the Republic, it's really the goddess Columbia. And Columbia was always thought to be the goddess of North America, right? She was like Isis in North America. So again, the question becomes, yeah, they're calling it the Columbian Exposition, but does it have anything to do with Christopher Columbus? Does Christopher Columbus even exist? Is he just a name used, taking the name, taking the real goddess of the area, Columbia, twisting it around so that they can pervert something that they want to they want to do? 
But these, what you might call statues of freedom, statues of the Republic, these went up everywhere. Uh, they put one up at the 1876 Philadelphia Exposition on top of their main building. I don't know if you've ever been to Philadelphia and seen that building, by the way. That was also put up, it's like it's the City Hall, or what was that? what is that building? But it was put up during the exposition in 1876. I think it has seven meter thick walls. The walls are like seven meters wow. thick. What do you need to build? Yeah, like your city hall building for with seven meter thick walls. But anyway, but that one there, that has a statue, which is obviously Statue of Columbia on top. And, and yeah, that takes you right to the Statue of Liberty, which really is a statue of Columbia. You know, they harped on that recently, and I'm going to get this wrong because I don't pay a lot of attention to TV. I, I look at the listings, but there was a new, I think it's HBO. It's one of those cable type channels. There was a show called New Gods or something about the new gods. It mm-hmm. ran about a year ago, I think, and Columbia was one of the things they harp on there um, mm-hmm. in that, and they, they do it. But let's pull this back around to kind of the dark side because you can always find it. In 1901, it, are people out there counting the ways? That's a verbatim 9-11 encode. There's a president assassinated. They electrocute an elephant. They slaughter dogs and eat them. They're portraying the happy plantation as if those slaves are just so proud that they can be slaves. This is all going on at the at the 1901 Count the Ways Again, please, Buffalo Fair, isn't it? Buffalo Exposition, yeah, the weirdest of all of the fairs by far. Every fair is strange, but the one in Buffalo was beyond nuts, actually. And the fair in Buffalo is is one that I think really needs to be deeply examined. But there are there are some things we can talk about. One is, of course, the assassination of President McKinley, and that happened in the Temple of Music, which is easily the most beautiful building uh-huh. at the fair. Does that uh, building still exist, the Temple of Music building? No, that building was taken down and supposedly everything was destroyed. However, I did happen to find on an old YouTube channel where people are, are these channels where they explore abandoned buildings, and they happened to be in an old tuberculosis hospital slash asylum near Buffalo. And they were showing this beautiful giant dome rotunda, like it was just this beautiful, beautiful dome inside this asylum. So I thought, okay, I'm going to look this up. It's called J.N. Adam Memorial Hospital in Pennysburg, New York, was the actual place. And it was supposedly built between 1909 and 1912. But when I dug into it, I found that that dome is actually the same dome that was at the top of the Temple of Music at the Buffalo Fair, the place where the president was assassinated. And when I looked into it, Supposedly, when they tore down the Temple of Music, the Buffalo mayor, Adam, kept kept the dome, kept the glass part of the dome, and then donated it to the hospital as a, as a personal gift. So the mayor kept the glass and the dome where the president was assassinated like some kind of trophy. Let's cue up the black magic here. So you have yeah. a Temple of Music. So there's your idea of harmony and melody and positive cymatics and things that human beings would consider nice and beneficial and pleasant. So they whack a president in there because all the world's a stage, immediately changing the cymatics, the idea, and everything. Then they ship after they destroy that positive temple to music over to a sick house. Can you see the kind of perverted thing? But I'm guessing this elephant electrocution must be the nonsensical story we hear about Edison. Is Edison the guy that fried the elephant here? Yep. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that also, so first of all, we had the uh, electrocution of the assassin of McKinley, right? Uh, this this guy, I can never say his name, right? Because or or something, the supposed killer. He was quickly electrocuted, and then they had acid poured over his body and thrown into the, into a, 
grave immediately. So shortly after that, yeah, there was a the beautiful, wonderful animal trainer, Frank C. Bostock, whose uh, moniker was the Animal King, a man of unbounded courage before whom all animals cower. Yeah, sounds like a lovely man. But he had this beautiful uh, elephant named Jumbo. And for some reason, Jumbo was causing problems, or he claimed was causing problems. So he decided that the best thing to do was to um, kill him at the fairgrounds in front of all the people. But the people running the fair would only let him do it if he had him electrocuted. And again, that's because Thomas Edison was the one who actually was the first to use an electric chair, right, on a prisoner. And in fact, it was Thomas Edison who was the one who threw the switch on the killer of McKinley. So full circle, and it was Edison's machine that was supposed to kill the elephant. The elephant didn't actually die for some reason, either the the machine didn't work or something about the skin of the elephant. So the elephant didn't actually die, but there was like 7,000 people had come to witness an elephant get electrocuted. So there's your sacrifice, your literal, your sacrifice. literal sacrifice, and that doesn't right. even start to cover the dogs. And but it no, starts to no, show you. No, that was done. Yeah, they brought in. I'm trying to remember. This was um, this was a woman who had uh, done some really good. Who had written a book just on the Buffalo Fair. She's the one who had found this out. Margaret Creighton was her name. Yeah, Rise and Fall of the Rainbow City. But they brought 700 dogs from many animal shelters in the area, and they they made the native Indians as part of their exhibit kill and eat the dogs at these at these uh, outdoor events. And again, there's in front of 20,000 spectators coming to watch the dogs get killed and eaten. So this is within the scope. This is considered a world fair, right? So it's in the club. This, this no is denying. A, this, this is a full-scale world exposition. So, 1901 so, so there you go. There's the heart of darkness on popular display. You're looking at probably like every other assassination that we've examined the, all the world's a stage but it is the death idea but when you start killing elephants uh in public with electricity and by the way again count the ways it's 1901 we are told whether it's true or not the idea of being able to electrically do anything hasn't been around that long but no. you, can, you can see and this and this fair is bizarre because they've built this is supposed to be Tesla's, again, fair, where he managed to somehow move electricity from Niagara Falls to Buffalo for the fair. No one's really explained how he actually supposedly did that. Uh, and at the middle of the fair is a 395-foot-high electrical tower, on top of which, of course, is a female golden statue called the Goddess of Light. And this thing was lit up by some suggest half a million electric light bulbs. And again, when you look at the photos of this thing, it's just like it's... Not only is it stunning and magnificent, it's beautiful. Like, it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure, and lit up at night when you see some of the photos that exist of all the lights on this thing, it's like, but where do they really get the power from? And I think that goes back to a lot of the questions we're talking about these buildings. I think the buildings themselves, the towers, the domes, the geometry, the cymatics, they're generating the electricity themselves. Well, it had to be something. I mean, think think of what it would take today if you had a place with no electricity and no way to pipe it in, the generators that would have to be built. And by the way, getting back to the elephant thing, one of the stories you heard about the frying of the elephant was supposedly it was, what's his face, Edison trying to claim, look, this is what Tesla's using. It's so dangerous. It was about AC current, DC AC current, current right, yeah. or something yeah. like this. So just yep. to get back, but to bring bring yep. it up and around. Well, we're at the top of the hour, and so I right, want to yeah, because Edison, put... Edison was trying to use these electrocutions to show that Tesla's alternating current is dangerous, right? He must have been a Republican, either that or hated Republicans, <laughs> who knows? 
But let's just cover one thing more quickly before I wrap up the first hour. So at the Nashville Fair, which is another thing people can look up, they have a perfect replica of the Parthenon, which is considered, if you read in any kind of architectural book, one of the most perfect buildings ever built. Uh, They built that in Nashville, again, tying to the ancient world. And that one's still around, isn't it? Or is that one destroyed? No, that one is still, you can still actually go to it. uh, It is in Nashville. They claimed, they, so, so the story goes, they claimed that all the buildings were temporary at this fair. And this, again, is a massive fair. And this isn't, wouldn't be classified as a world exposition, but, but sort of like one of these larger fairs that took place anyway. But again, they claimed all the buildings, including this Parthenon, are temporary. However, this is the claim to tear down the Parthenon was going to be too costly, so they left it standing and refurbished it in 1920 with more, long, with more lasting materials, i.e. stone. So they're saying it was too costly to tear down the Parthenon, but the buildings beside it, the Commerce Building and the Agricultural Building, which are 10 times the size, those weren't too costly to tear down. And a pyramid, right? Pyramid. And they had, yes, they had, a, they had a pyramid, they had an obelisk. Because again, you're back to Memphis is just down the road and Memphis is not, it doesn't have the name Memphis of the old ancient Egyptian capital by accident. All right, we're we're coming to the top of the first hour here, so we're going to pick up an hour or two at the 1915 Panama Exposition in San Francisco. Meanwhile, down in San Diego, there's an exposition going on. Meanwhile, remember in 1906, there was a big honking earthquake, we're told. So right after this earthquake, for some reason, but howdy, one yep. more time, tell people where they can find your stuff, where they can find you, your website. Yeah, easiest place to probably check would be go to the my YouTube channel, Howdy McCoskey Talks. Lots of videos up there, and I keep putting videos up on a variety of not just uh, historical subjects, but spiritual subjects. The three books, um, just Google search my name or head over to Amazon. You can get those, and the, and the website is um, egyptian-wisdomrevealed.com, but if you use my name, it'll come up. All right, so we're going to cover some things, and as far as the San Diego stuff, I can add quite a bit uh, because of Balboa Park. It's a place I've been my whole life, and it's one of the most stunning places. As a matter of fact, voted best picture of all time is Citizen Kane. The building shot for the supposed utopia, the guy in the movie's building, those are all Mm -hmm. shot in Balboa Park, just to let folks know. But join us for hour two of 273 at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. The second hour will be posted for membership. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded end of this era, which is quickly coming to us on the 21st of December. But join us on the other side, because this is a line in the sand, and I think people are just starting to realize the importance of what this was all about. There it is, man. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing.